God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who didn't. C.S. Lewis. Just a good old boy, trying to be a good old man, out here learning on the fly, trying to do the best I Hello, and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. I am Brett Etheridge, host of the podcast, joined today by a good friend and a special guest, Brian Bulky. Brian, welcome to the show. Man, good to be here. Good to be here, Brett. It's good to have you, and uh, I think our conversation is going to be very impactful. Real quick, I need to give a shout out to my co-host, Perry, who unfortunately is not with us again. He is still on the coming-of-age trip with his son, Liam, surfing big waves, hopefully, as we speak. So, Perry, uh, get back to us safely. But for today, it is Brian and I talking about really hope hope through tragedy. You know, Brian and I were talking literally just last night, just sort of catching up before thinking about hopping on this podcast today. And and we were talking about how crazy life is as a father sometimes. And we were doing dishes and he's doing laundry and a kid in the bath and homework with kids. And like, life gets crazy as a father, right? And we, we sometimes think, like it's hard. Life is hard as a father sometimes. Being a father is hard. And yeah, I mean, that stuff's hard. It's time consuming. But you know what's really hard is when your entire house burns down and you learn lose every single one of your possessions and you find yourself and your family without a place to live. And so mm-hmm. spoiler spoiler alert, that's one of the many things that has happened and befallen Brian and his family in their lives. And yet he's just a man of faith. He's a man of hope. He has seen God just move him and and help him through those experiences. And so so we're just going to talk about all of that. Uh, and again, Brian, thank you. Thank you for being on. You know, real quick, just uh, kind of how's your family doing right now? Tell tell all the listeners about your family. You have three kids, right? Got three kiddos, uh, growing family. It's kind of crazy for those of you dads that have children, you kind of blink and, you know, my son is 15. I have to, we need to, we're looking at cars because he's turning 16 in January and I've got two little girls, uh, one's 13 or 12, about to be 13, and one's six going on 20 for those of y'all that have little ones yeah. too. So, <laughs> but growing family, we've got, a, we've got a child in every school, elementary, middle, and high school. And um, it's just a lot. It's a lot of movement. They're, they're athletes. My son's a baseball player. He plays select ball as well as high school club or high school ball. And my daughter is a cheerleader and a volleyball player. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah. you know, the balance of, of the, uh, I call my wife, you know, taxi driver, Tony sometimes, or bus driver, Betty. So uh, it's just, there's a lot constantly going on with kids, as we all know. It is a beautiful chaos though. I mean, do you enjoy it? Oh man, I saw a post this morning, um, you know, in my little bit of a quiet time on, you know, something about, uh, you know, the, the season of busy, you will regret or you'll miss. And it just talked about, you'll miss the dirty clothes. You'll miss the baseball uniforms. You'll miss the chaos. You'll miss, and it's very true. And sometimes we need that reminder of just how, in the midst of this kind of level of, or season of chaos, we will miss it. Just like we kind of look back and go, man, remember those days? And so, yeah, you got to, you got to take, you got to be intentional and take the time to stop and appreciate the chaos, the chaos for sure. And I wonder with you and your story. So I've known Brian for a while. We've done some business together and, and it just seems like Brian, you know, a tragedy would befall you or your family. And we're like, oh man, and our heart just grieves, and we pray for you, and we reach out and we talk, and then you have a great community that comes around you, and then it's like, boom! It's like immediately, it seems like something else happens, and then okay, you you kind of get through that, and then boom, something else happens, and, and we'll touch on some of that. I just wonder for you if, in the midst of kind of going through all of that, if if the beautiful chaos you're talking about is is welcomed, it's like, man, I wish we could just get back to that crazy life where where life is just kind of quote unquote normal, and we're running around and driving our kids everywhere, and it's. I, I wonder if you almost have a little bit more grace and patience for those times, in contrast to some of the tragedies. Yeah, for sure. When you know, you know, everyone, everyone knows when the season, when things are good, and it's kind of like with our children, when we know that they're, there's nothing going on at school that's bad, their grades are good, sports are going good. Um, not that we, you know, ever wish to have harmful anything happen to anybody in our lives, especially our family and our kids, but we just know that it's life and it's their life is not easy. And, you know, during those good times, you kind of, you start checking yourself going, man, there's going to be some chaos coming. We know it. Um, 
I think we're kind of in that season right now for a lot of people. You know, there some people are experiencing a, a lot of difficult times with the economy. Some people aren't. Some people are kind of breezing through, and it's it's fun depending on the industry that they're in. Um, so yeah, I think I don't know. It's it's a difficult it's a difficult contrast for sure. <laughs> Which one you long for more? I don't know. <laughs> no, and I I wouldn't. Yes, I don't think we long for the hard times. We know that they likely will come at some point. If you're not, I had a pastor who always said, uh, you're you know you're either going into a hard time, you've just you're in a hard time, or you've just come out of a hard time, and and I'm not sure that that's the most optimistic way to look at life, but I think there's a little bit of, of truth to that as well, and yeah. so and so you know I I think. I think there are really two reasons for for having this conversation. And and the first is that I think so many fathers go through life feeling like they're alone. We just sort of get in our own little world, our own bubble with our own family, and we're just kind of moving through things and things are happening. And, and we sometimes lose the bigger perspective that there are other men out there, other fathers out there going through things and, and experiencing similar things to what we're experiencing. And so I just appreciate you being on for, for being willing to share your story because I think a lot of men will really benefit really just from hearing your story and realizing in some cases that they're not alone, that maybe other men are going through similar things and it will be comforting and almost reassuring in a way to to know that there are other men who have dealt with similar things but then we also like to be practical and I know you know I know you're going to be able to share some ways that you've coped with some of the tragedy and some of the hardships and how you've been able to navigate your way through it and so so we'll dive into all of that uh, real real fast sort of at the outset I just want to ask you about your dad. Uh, what, what's your fondest memory of your dad? What was your childhood like growing up? And what are some of the things that he taught you that you have carried into being a father yourself? Oh, man. Um, <clears throat> a big part of my story about my dad obviously incorporates, uh, you know, how we lost him today, which is unfortunate because that's what most people ask about. So it's rare that people ever ask about what are the fondest memories because it's always about the tragedy. But uh, a big part of the <clears throat> the tragedy in my story um, definitely incorporates for me um, the reason why it was such an impact for me and also the community around me was because I did have a pretty awesome dad. And it wasn't until losing him and being able to incorporate that story and having the network of men around me ask and be there for the presence of that time where I actually got to bring more of his life into a story and showed kind of how God was all throughout that story. Um, I was very fortunate as the youngest of three kids. My dad was a really hard worker, was in the military. He, he was a pilot in the Air Force, uh, 22 years, retired, you know, worked in corporate America after that, you know, as a high up, high up level kind of executive for, for financial institutions and such. But um, I always had a full-time ranch and cattle, and I was always working on the weekends and hunting and fishing and doing all the fun things. But that's all I knew life was. There was no there wasn't the dark side of being a child that I, I think I figured out more after I lost my dad, because through the story and the testimony of who my father was, I found a lot of, um, wouldn't call it envy, but probably the best word from a lot of men that didn't have that experience. And for a lot of, for a lot of men had a lot more dark experiences with their parents. And I think that opened my eyes to the, kind of the silver spoon that I was raised with. Um, I I didn't have tragedy. There was no, I didn't have molestation in my family. There was no uh, difficult times for our children, like for us as kids growing up. We never knew that times were tough. Uh, my parents just did a really, really great job. And I can't speak about my dad without my mom, obviously, but um, it's hard to isolate one great thing about who my dad was. It's just the bottom line is I didn't, I literally was raised with a silver spoon and a dad that did everything right to the point where on his headstone today, it says, and all you know to be right, you do. That's just what my dad embodied. And if it meant at the expense of money or the expense of relationships, if it was the right thing to do, you did it. Um, I would say the the best fondest memory of probably the lesson that my dad taught me in my life is we were avid hunters and we, we had, you know, small ranches up in, you know, two and a half hours away from our, our hometown here in San Antonio uh, that we would travel to on the weekends and such and go hunting. But on Sunday mornings, uh, after the morning hunt, we would drive into London, Texas and go sit in a little red brick church and listen to Pastor McWhorter talk um, and preach. And there'd be five little old ladies sitting in the front pew that I think had a crush on him. But 
London, Texas has a population of like 10. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> it's just ranches and farmers, uh, farms around there. But I could probably count on one hand, two to be safe. How many days in my life that I knew my dad missed church. Um, that was, that was a very impactful for me. He, I, I knew that he knew the relationship that was necessary in his life. And he, he showed that to us as kids growing up. And do you think that's why you now prioritize that with your family? Is that, I mean, did you learn your faith because of how he modeled it? Um, my dad was actually a Catholic. I'm not a Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Um, my mom was a Baptist. She went to one of the largest Baptist churches here in San Antonio. They were married, married for 42 years and still going strong when we lost him. Um, so it shows you how cool they are. I mean, a Catholic and a Baptist figuring out how to go to church on Sundays <laughs> in separate churches. They gave us kids the options. You know, normally I, I had to go to Catholic church at 8 a.m. if we were working at the ranch that day. You know, yeah. couldn't go to 11 o'clock service with my mom. But, um, yeah, I think it was just there was a combination there of just uh, priorities. You know, parents showing their children where priorities lie and how you sacrifice those priorities and make sure that, you know, if, if you believe in it, you you stick with it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Again, and all you know you do, to be right, you do. If they were hunting on Sunday morning and he he knew it was important to be at church, we still drove the 30 miles on dirt roads to go sit in that little red brick church and listen to Pastor McWhorter talk. <laughs> I still remember it. Yeah, we called him Mr. Mac. You know, he's uh, I, he was a dear friend. I was at Mr. Mac's funeral because that's how close we were to the guy. Yeah. So. Well, that's a that's a cool memory and a cool experience. And I imagine growing up on a ranch as well, you learned hard work. Come on now. Anybody that's ever worked on a ranch knows hard work. <laughs> and we've actually been going through a book called Fathered by God uh, periodically here on this podcast. And and it talks a lot about the value of hard work as a young as a young boy becomes a man. And so having that instilled in you because of the way that you grew up. And you talked about growing up with a silver spoon. But really, uh, I mean, that's that's enviable to have been protected and sheltered from some of, some of the hardships that certainly exist. And I think it doesn't mean that your father and maybe your mother weren't dealing with hard things. They just really protected you from being aware of some of those things. And then that gives you a childhood of safety, of security. And what a great gift that your dad was able to give you. As you now think about yourself as a father, thinking about your own childhood experience, are you trying to recreate some of those things? Are you trying to shelter or have you? I mean, you have a 15-year-old now, but have you tried to shelter your kids from some of the hardships of life? But the thing is, they've gone through some of those with you guys. So how do you hold that balance between wanting them to experience and realize that life can be hard, that there are tragedies, that there is evil in the world, and yet also wanting to provide that that blanket of shelter and protection and just let them be kids man if we can figure out the answer to that <laughs> you know we'd all be doing a better job um yeah i think we just as as men and as, as dads i think we, the best thing we can do is just every day try and do our best right um you know man i think even i mean you and i i've known each other for i don't know now what, 15 years something like that maybe longer um I think a big part of our journey together in the business that we've done in the past, we were surrounded by men that encouraged us to do things that even my father didn't teach me, teach me to do. I've got a lot of mentors in my life that are outside of my dad, but um, although I use my dad as kind of my foundation, my rock, and I feel like he still talks to me today, like when I got an issue with my truck, like I don't have a dad to go to and, hey, dad, how do I fix this issue? Luckily, God put me in those scenarios in the last 15 years, even before we lost my father, that I have a lot of men in my life that I can still go to that I trust, which is a big deal. Um, leadership is equals trust, right? But uh, no, I, I I pick and I choose from a lot of those things. And I think we we are encouraged to read. I'm an avid reader. I know as, as you are as well. Um, and in that process of reading, we learn to adapt. We learn to change. I'm an avid, you know, 21 Laws of Leadership. I'm a John C. Maxwell guy. But in that adaptation and that... And that um, I guess enhancement would be a good word as you continue to grow and be better. Today's world's a little bit different than how I was, how I was raised. So we as fathers have got to constantly be um, ahead of the curve, doing things different, not just from a shelter or protection standpoint, but also from a growth and a business mindset. I mean, dude, kudos to you doing this podcast. You know, I mean, I've been talking about doing a podcast for years, never done it. You know, so to see to see that you are stepping out with, you know, your partner, I think he said his name was Perry. Is that correct? That's right. Um, how awesome for you, man. I mean, I know you got a lot going on in your life too. Your dad, you got 
I think you guys got a farm and like all kinds of crazy chaos in your life, you know? So, but, but like you said, it, I, I echo exactly what you said though. It forces us to, to grow ourselves. And I think one of the yeah. biggest things that's come from the podcast so far is just my investment in trying to be a better father myself and learning and reading and talking to other men and, and, you know, talking to somebody like you so that I can learn from you because, you know, if we just try to go through this whole fatherhood thing alone, man, there's so much that we can learn from others and, and ways that we can grow and be better fathers. Yeah. So I, I've been in men's ministry for 18 years. Um, and the the fatherless father has kind of been a mantra in my life. You know, again, it's it was highlighted by the fact that I have such a ex- great experience with the, with a great upbringing. I, I was not, I'm not a fatherless father. I had a great dad, a great earthly father that taught me about a spiritual father. And as I've gone through these tragedies in my life, I was introduced to a lot of men in my life that are, have been raised as fatherless fathers. They are now parents, they're dads to children. And they didn't have, they don't have a roadmap to look at. When I opened my book and I've got a great story, a good buddy of mine, Lucas, um, there was a song that came out by Cole Swindell a couple of years ago. And it's, it's a song called you should be here. And it was right around the time that my dad had died. And Lucas was, we were in the truck one day. He goes, man, have you heard that song? I said, no, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, you got to put this on. So we pulled it up on, you know, the app or whatever. And I played it, man, it brought tears to my eyes, you know, cause it was just a song about you should be here. You're missing out, but we miss you. You should be here. You should be here. You should be here. And I'm sitting there driving. I got tears in my eyes. I'm looking at him like, man, this is this is exactly what I needed to hear because that's how I feel right now. But it hit me in the moment. And when the song was over, I turned the the sound down and I looked at Lucas because he's one of my buddies who's a fatherless father. And I looked at him, I said, dude, how do you hear this song? Because you don't have a dad. And then he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, I live that song through your experience with your dad. Hmm. When I hear about your stories about how your dad raised you and how mighty of a man he was to you, I kind of have to learn through you. And it, it opened my eyes to, man, I have a book, I feel like, that's full of chapters on how to do things right as a dad. And there's a lot of men out there that when they open their book, it's blank. There's nothing written. Where do they go to, how do they handle an argument with their spouse? How do they raise their children when there's two right answers? How do you know where which side, which left or right? you know, fork in the road do you take? There's a lot of times in life, there's two right answers. I've got a book that's full of great information. And <clears throat> I go to that book often, right? Not just from a spiritual standpoint in the word, but also I had a dad that left me with a lot of instrumental information on how to make those decisions. Uh, but a lot of men don't have that. Their their pages are, are blank. So the question becomes, where do those men turn to? And yeah. uh, And I wonder if if that's part of what makes the tragedy of losing your dad, and, and maybe you can, to the extent that you would want to fill in some of the blanks there, um, you lost your father, but the way you lost your father, I think, was particularly hard. And I just wonder, I wonder if that compounded things just because of what an incredible man he was, the fact that he had written so much into the pages of, of your father book, and then now to, to no longer have that, just overnight, to no longer have that. How did you cope with with that loss? How did you grieve that? How did you come to grips with now being without an earthly father to pull on for guidance in those, you know, when those questions arise? Uh, this was 2012. So a little over 10 years ago, right? Um, I'm still grieving that. And as a dad today, I mean, there's still moments where there is nobody else you can go to. Right. And there are moments in life where you just really wish that you had, I wish that I had that phone call to say, Hey, I need some help. It's going to get me emotional thinking about it. But, um, the, 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 the story for me is it, I, I don't get the option to write more pages in that book. So my chapter, you know, from, from 32 or 33, 34 years old, uh, on the rest of my fatherhood career of even becoming a grandparent and having my dad be there to teach me that stuff and even experience the raising of my children. I don't have that story. So I am having to rely on, you know, other, other men that are, that are going through those experiences. And again, I, I'm blessed by having a lot of men in my life that I can go to and have those experiences. But <clears throat> yeah, it was tough, man. Um, you know, my dad, again, I think the highlight of just 
the, 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 the contrast of having such a great man and then having to have such the tragedy is just that black and white or that yin and yang. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I would have changed a thing or if I wish I could. I, it, it's, it's all based on perspective and my perspective comes from my spiritual father. And I know that he has a journey for me and he has a journey for my family and for my mom who's still here and for my siblings and their kids. And I, I can't regret the story. It's kind of like Job. Like you just, you just have to endure knowing that the Lord has got his in his hands. And, you know, as the, as the point of footprint, sometimes you'll turn around and notice that there's only one pair. Cause that's when the Lord carries you. Um, I did lose my dad pretty tragically. He was, he was killed on our ranch um, in, a, in a way that nobody knows, but it was a very brutal accident. Um, every, every answer led to, he was, he was murdered by a couple dudes. Um, we have a ranch in South Texas, so no telling who or what, but, um, it was tragedy. I mean, my dad was a very strong man, six foot two, 230 pound guy who's been ranching his entire life. I mean, he had strong hands like those type of guys. And he was an Iowa farm boy, you know, his whole life growing up in the military for 20, you know what I mean? Like he's just not, he's not a weak person. Right. Um, so it was a very, very difficult uh, time in our life to to even think about the possibility of what happened in that that moment of time for my dad. And even you know coming home, I mean, we were in a space being you know business owners and um, having a lot of people that depended on us, my family, but my my team, my company. Um, we were in a space of just real tragedy, man. I was we were growing our company a lot. Like we were right in the midst of some greatness. We had planned for the last 10 months to really build our business, to hit the largest growth spurt that we had ever hit. We were wanting to break some records and we were right in the midst of it. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, literally right in the midst of it for 10 months, we built up to have that one month of August of 2012 to be that month that it was going to just, we were going to break the records and we were on the third week of four weeks. And when we lost my dad and I just remember the, the compounding effect. And I think a lot of men go through this and it's, you don't have to have a tragedy like I have uh, with losing my dad the way that I did to experience the pain of compounding tragedies. Right. I mean, it could just be a loss of a job and then you get a medical bill. <laughs> you know, it's like there's compounding of tragedies that happens and mine was just different. Mine's not better. Mine's not a, it's not a badge of honor that I wear of like, Hey, I got a better story than yours is. Trust me. I don't like talking about it. Um, it's just what men go through. But I think the, because of the beauty of who my dad was and how I was raised, I kind of feel like the Lord had to give me a testimony and a story to make sure that men understood that in my journey and how I treated that journey, and the relationship that I have with the Lord is what got me through that journey. I almost feel like that my message to men had to be exponentially more powerful because of how I was raised. That I had to go through this tragedy to make sure that that message to other men, when they do just lose a job and they have a medical bill show up or something happens, I can say, look, man, and not to tell you that it's harder for me or that my story was any different, but I can tell you, here's how I got through this story. And... There's God in all of it. And if you ain't got God in all of it, um, I don't know any other way to advise you to get through it. Because God was in my story. God was in my dad's story. God was in the loss of our son and the the house fire that followed a year later. Like, uh, God is that story. There is no other story. So it's like, how do you live in that tragedy and be? Re how do I regret the story? When God is that story, I, there's no, I can't be conflicted there. And it, does it make sense? It does. It makes complete sense. Um, you know, the Bible obviously says that God works all things for good for those who love him. It's easy, I think, when, when tragedy strikes, you can eat. Some men turn from God and blame God and get mad at God. And rebel against God, and ask the, all of the how can the, how can this happen to me, and how can bad things happen to good people, and all of those types of questions. Or you can turn to God, 
And what I hear you saying is it was just, there was no other choice but to turn to God because how else are you going to get through those experiences? Now you had, you had some foundation already, some history with God to know that mm-hmm. he is good, to know that he provides, to know that he cares, to see how, how he was working in your dad's life. So you had that to, to draw on, but for you, there was no other choice but to turn to God, not from God during those hardships. Yeah. So again, the stories and the details, right? I'm I'm a storyteller and I can get lost in them, but that's where the detail, that's where the lessons are learned. So people need to understand too, that God has been in my life since I was a child, but I didn't have a relationship with Christ. I think most people, I mean, let's go back. You know, there, there is historical data that can prove that there was a guy named Jesus on planet Earth. Whether or not you believe that he's the son of God or not, that's a different story, right? That's a journey that, that every person, especially men, are on. But there's historical data that there was a man that, did, that was on Earth. There was footprints left on the Earth. This man's story, right, was at 30 years old, he started his ministry, and in three years, he turned the world upside down. He took 12 dudes and literally turned the world upside down. He never traveled outside 200 miles of where he lived. Everywhere he went, he either went or walked, he walked or rode on a donkey. Uh, he didn't have cell phones. He didn't have, a so, he didn't have social media. Um, and 2,000 years later, 75% of the world's population at least knows his name. And over half the world's population follows his leadership. If we just look at it from a leadership standpoint, I would encourage all my men in my life that if you want to be a better leader for your family, for your spouse, for your children, for your network, for your community, for your church, there's a guy that did a really good job of influencing other men and also creating a legacy of influence 2,000 years later. The cool part about it is they wrote a book about his life. And to this day, we still get to read about his story. So the tough part is, is I think everybody on the planet has God in their life. They just don't have a relationship yet. Or they don't know maybe where their relationship level is. So the deniability of knowing of God is not existent anymore today. Everybody knows that there is something. They just are choosing the fork in the road, right? Again, this is the journey everybody goes on. But I think it's important to understand that in my life, in my journey, there was a day in college where I went to a uh, to go play pool at the mess hall, you know, at, at the university I was at. And it just so happened, my roommate and I, who I'd only known for like four days, walked downstairs to this beautiful new building to go look at the seven pool tables that were available, found an open pool table. 15 minutes later, a guy jumps on a bar stool. It wasn't a bar. It was just a, it was a mess hall. It was a school campus deal. It jumps on a bar stool and yells real loud. All right, guys, everybody, I'm glad that you came to show up for the Beta Upsilon Chi initiation meeting. I looked at my roommate and I said, what is that? <laughs> Edo Sankai is Brothers Under Christ Christian Fraternity. It's a national organization. Hmm. God led me into a room to have a man stand on the bar stool and say, We're, thank you for coming for the first meeting of Brothers Under Christ Christian Fraternity. I looked at my roommate and said, dude, I'm cool with staying. If you are, he goes, I'm down. Nice. That's how I joined my Christian fraternity in college. The Lord leads you in really random ways to certain areas of your life, and you have a choice to make in all of those. I just always chose to seek a higher relationship, knowing that God existed, I wanted to desire a better relationship. So when you go, when we talk about, when I tell people about my tragedy, the tragedies in my life that I've gone through, and trust me, life is not like purple bunnies and unicorns today. It's hard, right? But when I talk about, and I allude to these tragedies, it's important that men understand. I started this 18 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And over that time, I've been in men's ministry now for 18 years, Uh, heard about a men's retreat 18 years ago, and a good buddy of mine, Chris Harl, you know really well, Mm -hmm. Brett. Yep. We decided to go check it out. We just decided to go build on more of that relationship with the Lord. And in that getaway, Chris and I baptized each other in the river. Now, I was baptized at the Catholic Church as a child. I walked down the aisle at the Baptist Church you know, with my mom when I was seven, but I always had that tug in my heart. Like, I don't know if I really made my commitment. And that choice to go to that men's retreat allowed Chris and I to to make a decision that day. And he and I got in the river with a pastor and we baptized each other. Fast forward six years later, we had 180 men in my business 
come to that men's retreat from like seven states. I don't say that to brag. The point is, is God will lead you down journeys and he'll allow it to impact and do things and plant seeds, right? The harvester, the sower, where 30, 60, or 100 fold is, is harvested. And it's important that people realize that I had been on this journey of just taking that next step every time. It wasn't majestic. It wasn't anything that was great that was happening. I was just taking the right step every time. And trust me, there was a lot of those steps. I was like, man, am I doing the right stuff here? I just, sometimes you feel like an idiot. Sometimes you feel like you're doing it all wrong. But that's where getting in the word matters. You know, that story about that guy that we were talking about, who's got some great leadership skills. We should learn about that guy. But one verse I will tell you that stood out to me through my whole journey when this happened, I don't know, about 10 years ago, well, prior to prior, my, prior to my father, uh, which was really the first major tragedy that we experienced, but it's Matthew 6, uh, 33, 34. And I remember diving into this Bible verse, and we really dove into it, but it's seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you desire. The verse 34 goes into the, the verse about worry. Do not worry about the things of tomorrow because the things of today. I'm butchering that part, but verse 33, that's, that has lived with me because it's important to understand every word in the Bible matters. Every word in the Bible matters. Every comma, every period, every is the, that I am, every word matters because it's part of the foundational truth that exists on this planet. It is the greatest foundational truth that exists on this planet. So every word matters. And if you read Matthew 6, 33, that verse says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Okay, so now what does that mean? When you're in those decisions or those opportunities to make those decisions, are you making the choice to seek more relationship? Yes, you need to seek the kingdom of God above all else. But you have to live righteously. You can't leave that part of the sentence out. That verse matters. You have to live righteously, meaning that we are we know that we will sin. But we have to do our dangdest to live righteously. And the last part of that verse, he says, and you will be given everything, right? Not some things, right? Not, well, we'll find out, you know, you won't even know. It's kind of like what's behind door number three. Well, I want door number one. No, uh, no, no, it's everything. But you have to seek the kingdom of God to live righteously in all that you do. And man, to be honest, that's all I've done. That's all I've tried to do. And I've failed miserably. As a young man, um, as a young, you know, husband, as a young father, as a as a son, as a brother, as a brother-in-law, and as a son-in-law, as a brother in Christ, as a as a as a business owner, I have failed miserably a thousand times. But every single day, man, I wake up and I try to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, believing that He will give me everything. That I desire. And you've failed in some ways, but you've succeeded in some ways as well. I'm thinking about David, King David in the Bible, who failed miserably time and time again, and yet he was called a man after God's own heart. And I think that's the key is that I see in you, Brian, a positioning of your heart towards Christ, towards mm-hmm. God, saying, that is the desire of my heart. I seek that. I want that. I will say yes to those opportunities because I think I think God orchestrates, obviously, opportunities like you showing up at a random mess hall because you were led there and just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Well, that was orchestrated by God. But there are other instances that you had to say yes to certain things when other men might say no. And and I think for, for men and fathers listening to this who might be hearing Brian talk about how he had this solid foundation of the work that God had been doing in his life to prepare him for these tragedies, what do we do as men if we don't have quite that solid foundation? Man, this is great. Um, And I know we're going to run out of time. We need to make this two hours. Uh, So again, stories in the detail. So that, I talked about that men's retreat. I would say the third year, we had a good group of guys that, that we had come with us. And one of the one of the guys came, his name was David. He was from Florida, one of my good buddies. I told him, I said, you can't miss it, man. I'm a promoter of events, as you know. And I told him he had to come. So we flew out and he came to that men's retreat. One of those nights, for those of y'all that have been to men's retreats, you, you know, you you stay in the bunk houses and you got guys that hang out until two o'clock in the morning. And you're just talking about the stuff that men sometimes need to talk about without women around, right? Right. The tough stuff. Yes. 
And that's what we were doing. And I was laying on a bunk bed on the bottom one of the, my buddy David was, you know, a couple of bunks over. And there was a couple men, older men, about 10 years, 15 years older than me in our bunkhouse. And these are guys that I had known for years. These are guys that were influencing me to come to this men's retreat for years. These are guys that are now to this day, men's, you know, mentors of mine, spiritual mentors of mine, but they were telling stories of their own personal testimony. And one guy started off and he talked about, you know, how he was an alcoholic and he beat his wife, he beat his children, how he'd come home from work just mad because there was dishes, you know, in the dish in the sink and his wife didn't work and he'd just make him angry. So he'd drink and he'd get on his lazy boy and kick his feet out and turn on sports center and get get drunk and then get out and go beat his wife and then he'd beat his child because they went to he just told this crazy chaotic story. This guy was a green beret. And I'm like, man, you're like a your thumb's a lethal weapon. How do you put your hands on people? That's what I'm thinking. Right. And he tells a story how one night he's he's drunk and he he's just done with it. And he gets in the closet, puts a gun to his chin, says, God, I'll give you one last shot. If you're real, you better tell me so. And he said, man, I felt the Holy Spirit wash over my body. And I came out of that closet, a changed man. I've never touched my wife again in a harmful way. I've never touched my children. I haven't had a sip of alcohol since. And now he's doing prison ministry. Hmm. The next guy starts talking. Goes through a whole another testimony, very similar. And I'm sitting in my bunk watching these guys talk. Now, mind you, I was doing my best in my life to make the right choice. But don't, don't hear me wrong. I was not like, God wasn't just giving me out free meal tickets. Like, oh, here's another easy past in life. Like, I was still going through some mental tragedies in my life. I was broke. I was building a business. I couldn't pay my bills. I was newly married. My wife was pregnant. Like, I was really in a messed up space. I'm going to church, man. Every Sunday, I'm getting my energy filled up, but I, they didn't hand me any paychecks to pay my electric bill this month. You know, I'm still dealing with that stuff. And here I am laying in that bunk. And I'm I'm watching these guys talk, and I just, I was getting irritated. More and more irritated. And I was probably 30 years old. And I had to call a timeout. After the next guy told his story about this washing of the Holy Spirit, this tangible relationship with, with Jesus, I said, man, I'm going to be honest with you guys. And I got mad. Sometimes we got to do that. You know, if, I feel like if you're going to cuss, cuss right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do it with compassion and do it with the people that know that the Lord is present in your spirit right now because it matters. And I said, this pisses me off. And I said, you guys are talking about this, like almost a tangible relationship with the Holy Spirit, I deal with this thing called faith, and I'm tired of it. I'm so tired of dealing with this belief in the unknown. That's that's too hard. Like I told my, his name was Brother Lee. I said, Brother Lee, you went in the closet and said that the Lord showed up and washed over you. Well, dude, if Jesus touched me too, I might like think differently tomorrow. Yeah, it would make my faith easier. Yeah, come on. And my buddy David validated. He was like, yeah. He was like, dude, I kind of feel the same way. He goes, I've been, I was, I had my own journey. I got my mom, you know, he was, he was a follower. His father didn't have a dad. My mom's talking about Jesus. He's, she's real big into the church, but I don't really know about all this stuff, but I know God exists. You know, we all got that story. And I'll never forget, you know, we got off our soapbox about being upset and blah, blah, blah. And I'll never forget a good buddy of mine that was there, Mike Ford, still a good spiritual mentor of mine to this day. This is why we need men. This is why I do this podcast you're doing is so important. And I hope men that listen to this reach out to you personally. Heck, reach out to me on Facebook. I, don't, I answer all the time. Man, these we're, we're caged lions and we can't be caged no more, right? We got to have brothers we can raise up. But I'll never forget Mike in his way as a spiritual mentor. You know, this guy's been down his own road. He's 15 years older than I am. He just kind of very calmly when I was done, got off my soapbox. He just looked at me and David both and he said, have you ever asked God to reveal himself to you? Hmm. And don't miss this, dude, because this is prior to my strategy to my dad and Hudson and our house fire, which is important that people understand the story behind that. But my response to him was, you mean asking the creator of the heavens and earth to show up at your doorstep? That's like getting hit by a bolt of lightning and having your house burned down. For, for people that don't know, my house was hit by a bolt of lightning seven years later and burned to the ground. That's how we lost our home. But in that moment, when I said that, Mike's response was, God will reveal himself to you in a way that matters to you. 
you'll know. Not the way that Brother Lee did it. You got your own story, man. But the Bible also says we must believe in our heart, but also what? Confess with our mouth. He said, you must believe that you want the Lord to reveal himself to you, but you must also ask for it. I'm going to be honest with you, man. That night in bed, that was logical. That was very good foundational truth for me, and I'm a logical dude. I don't think I'd ever ask for the Lord to reveal himself to me. Maybe that's why I was still having to deal with faith and not tangible relationship. I laid in bed that night, man. I don't know. I don't know what time the guys left. I know it was late. I don't know what time I actually went to bed, but I felt like I laid in my bed for two days. I was mad at myself. I cried. I was angry. I couldn't speak the words, Lord, reveal yourself to me. I joke now with a lot of my men that it's kind of like what life was like before becoming a Christian. It was a lot easier. You weren't convicted. Right. Were you? Was that it? Were you afraid of terrified. what would happen if he actually did? And what not, it would require of you, what it would mean for you, what it would, yeah, what it would require. Yes, of it you. wasn't, it was the Lord, what was happening in that moment was not a fear of pain. It was a fear of accountability. The calling on my life, almost every man I know that I've ever talked to knows that they have a larger calling than what they're living today. That was the fear. And the moment that I ask, Reveal yourself to me was going to be a deciding moment for tomorrow. I was not going to be able to deny that I asked for this. The moment the words came out of my mouth, all I remember is waking up the next morning. He put me to sleep. I woke up the next morning, completely forgot the hustle and bustle, coffee. Guys are going to breakfast. It's the Sunday morning. We do a big walk to Emmaus down to the river where my buddy Chris and I baptized each other years before. We've got all these men that are there. I had six men that morning, six of these men that I admired, that I had invited, that these guys I had looked up to, men like you, that I, that I would consider spiritual brothers, not mentors. I'm not, I'm not mentoring you, like spiritual brothers, guys that make me better as much as they feel I make them better. Too. Iron sharpens iron. Exactly. I had six of these men on the way to the walk to that river come and ask me to baptize them that morning. I had an overwhelming experience with the Holy Spirit that day. I didn't know what was going on. It took me six months, Brett. Six months later, it hit me. It took me that long. Looking back on that experience and what was happening in those six months, I went, wow, this is what's happening. And I, I forgot that I asked for it. Then I lost my dad. Then we lost my son. And a year later, my house got hit by a bolt of lightning and burned to the ground. I was standing in the street watching my house burn. My two young kids, Dylan, my oldest, and my middle daughter were in my truck. I locked the door. Um, my wife was three months pregnant with our next child. So I've got her like wrapped in bubble wrap because we had just lost to Hudson, which is a horrible tragedy. It's difficult for anybody that's ever gone through that process. Um, so we were protecting her like crazy. She wasn't there. She wasn't answering her phone. I had no idea where she was. I'm standing in front of my house. There's fire trucks everywhere. There's 30-foot flames shooting out the top, and, and I'm alone, looking at my home, still dealing with the legalities of my dad's murder, still dealing with the, rem re the, re the remnants of dealing with the emotional pain of losing a son, trying to protect my wife, pregnant again, trying to maintain a business, and now my freaking house is burning down, and everything in it is going up in smoke. And the police, the fire chief had given me a piece of paper and a pen to stand there and start taking notes. He said, man, you're going to be overwhelmed and in shock. Write down everything that you hear because you're going to need it. And I'm standing by myself in the street watching my house burn down. These firemen trying to fight the fire. And that's when it hit me. I asked for this. I remember I turned to the Lord, man, in that minute, that moment. I said, I got it. I'm done. Close the chapter on this page in this, in this part of my life, man. I know who you are. I see your presence. Man, I asked for this. I got it. I know now why you put me through these tragedies. Is to because I asked, Lord, reveal yourself to me. And I got it. And I'm going to take these stories and I'm going to go change the lives of these fatherless fathers that are cage lions. 
that are going through tragedies that are doesn't matter the we, we all got the sin we all got the, the battles of our testimonies it doesn't matter on the the greater of who's who's is who we're all dealing with it but man i think that's where for people that don't have the story that i have it doesn't matter the point is if you've never asked the lord to reveal yourself himself to you and you're struggling with how do you get through these tragedies in your life or this time in your life where do you find that hope i don't man i didn't join a christian fraternity 20 years ago i haven't been in men's ministry for 18 years but man i got tragedy today in my life how do i deal with it it's real simple you just got to open your mouth you got to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth man you got to say lord i need you to reveal yourself to me in a way that matters to me so that i understand and you got to choose every day to seek the kingdom of god above all else live righteously and he will give you everything that you desire that's it so what does the future look like then for the Bulky family? For Brian Bulky as father, how are you how are you doing this? How are you how are you fathering your kids? How have you helped then? So that's work that God has clearly obviously done in you to raise you up as as a leader of other men, to speak this testimony, to impact other men's lives. How are you also instilling these these values these lessons in the lives of your kids who have a very different frame of mind when they watch their house burn down mm, yeah <clears throat> fathers and men i believe man i i don't think again I, I fail every time i talk to my kids i don't answer them right i try but i think we're children where they grow and they learn the best is in the choices of our character and our integrity. That's what speaks to their spirit more than the perfect answer in the, in the moment of the question that they have. Um, men too. Um, I, I've been in so many conversations with men where we try to give the right answer or the next guy tries to give the better one. That's not what there's only one dude that was the best at replying <laughs> You know what I mean? And that's why we have to read. Yeah. And when he replied, nobody understood what he was saying anyway. <laughs> and nobody ever tried to trump it because it was like, wow, that was, uh, we got to go think about that. We'll write that one down too. That was good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't measure, um, I don't evaluate my moment to moment responses. I am diligently trying to live by integrity and by good character and by a good example, you know, the I'm, I've, I've been toying with and I'm, I have never shared this with anybody except for today. Um, but through a lot of these men in my life that are doing some pretty phenomenal things around this world, there's a lot of men that are listening to this. There's a lot of men that will be that will share this with other friends um, that are executives of companies. There's business owners, there's employees, there's men that are community volunteers at their church. Every single one of the men's men that are listening to this are dealing with some type of internal belief that they are a caged lion. Hmm. And they're being restricted by somebody, by their spouse, by their children, by their circumstance, by their job, by their paycheck, by something. Uh, they feel that they are a caged lion. And we live off the scraps of what are given to us when we feel like we're a caged lion. We do, we are not living in the abundance of what the Lord allows us to live in. And I'm working right now to launch cage lion ministries because the men that are business owners, that are employees, that are executives, that are, I don't care what people do for a living, men deal with these emotions where they feel like they're caged and they can't get out. And the only answer that will ever get rid of the four walls surrounding men is a relationship with the Lord. And we must believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. We have to ask for the Lord to reveal himself to us. Faith and spirituality and relation with the Lord is a choice. That's why men and the population struggle with tragedy. Why would the Lord allow tragedy to occur? Because faith is a choice. And we live in the devil's playground. So we must do the things that are necessary for men to get out of this caged perspective in life. And we must, there are, there are fundamental steps that men must follow to, re, to 
break the chains or break the barriers of this cage that we sometimes feel that we live in. Um, and man, like this, what you're doing right now, I'm telling you, Brett, I commend you and Perry doing this stuff. This is important. Men need to hear this. Um, it might not be my story that's magical, but one of the stories that you're going to share to your prayer before we got started, you said, let it be the Lord's words, not mine or not yours. It's not about the body that I'm sharing with you that's impacting the soul, which is the mind, will, and emotions. It's about the spirit that is sharper than a two-edged sword that affects the mind, will, and emotions of the soul. It's by just naturally doing this that we have the um, the spirit at work. And through that, man, you are going to be impacting men's lives through that process. Just by them hearing it, the Lord is now at work in their life. So kudos for you, man. I appreciate even being here. Well, I know the work it takes to make this stuff happen. Well, and I applaud you as well. And thank you for sharing your heart. If you could see my legs going like a million miles an hour, which is what I do when I'm like fired up and excited about something. As you were talking about that, I, I can picture a book unleashing the caged lion. So if you don't write that book, I'll write it. But I can see ways that that your budding ministry and faithful fatherhood can partner. So we'll, we'll talk more about that offline. I, I think that's awesome, man. I, I'm on fire right now. So um, so much that, like you said, we didn't get to, man, we could talk about this stuff for hours, but I do thank you for what you did share. And I think you got to the most important heart of the issue and the matter. And yeah, man, just, uh, thank you for, for opening up, for sharing your heart and just being who you are and, um, and following where the Lord's leading you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Love doing it. we happy to do it again. So with that, we will wrap up this episode of the Faithful Fatherhood podcast. Click that follow button if you haven't already so that you're alerted whenever the next episode drops. Tune back in next time. And as Brian suggested, feel free to reach out to him directly on Facebook. Reach out to me. As always, if you have questions, contact information will be in the show notes. But for now, have a great rest of your week, men. And we will talk with you again next time on the Faithful Fatherhood podcast. Take care, everyone. Oh,